0: Hello and a warm welcome to EY's Think People podcast with me, Michael Costello. This is our first ever episode, which kicks off nicely on the topic of purpose, exploring what great leaders and organizations like Microsoft, Lego, Pepsi, BP, Starbucks, and even our very own EY are doing to unlock the potential of purpose in the workplace. Harvard Business School Professor Ranjay Galati was kind enough to talk to us about how organizations achieve extraordinary results through the pursuit of a deep purpose. What is that I hear you cry? It's an organization that knows and leverages its reason for being, that balances commercial and societal needs, and ensures that purpose is not on the periphery, but informs its strategy and daily communications. We explored huge questions on why business leaders like Satya Nadella and Howard Schultz and investment banks are taking purpose so seriously. How well-known brands have looked to their past to inspire their purpose and not been held back from it. And how we can ensure our employees are aligned and connected to a purpose and not at risk of purpose drift. It's also great to see Ranjay take on all concepts like work-life balance, the 100-year-old concept of the win-win, and purpose only being a statement on a website or on the periphery. Now, if you want to be in with the chance of winning Ranjay's book, Deep Purpose, please like one of our social media posts and share your light bulb moment in the comments box. Let us know how this episode has inspired your thinking. So, dear listener, listen in, as according to Ranjay, you and I are wanting more than just a salary and career, We want to know more about an organization's purpose and be aligned to its very reason for being, its deep purpose. You join Ranjay and I now discussing the power of purpose. So sit back, relax and enjoy the podcast.
1: My pleasure to be here with you today to talk about this research. If you told me five years ago I was going to write about purpose, I would have said you're crazy. This was far from my mind. Purpose to me sounded very existential, philosophical, and ideology, ideological idea. I would contemplate that in retirement, sitting on my you know wheelchair <laughs> or my armchair or my rocking chair, sitting in my balcony one day. So the why question seemed like a you know a contemplation that I didn't really have to deal with.
0: Since the big the big rethink, the Great Resignation, as many people. People call it. What's going on there? What are we tapping into? Uh, Yes,
1: COVID was a reset moment. COVID has forced a rethink for a lot of us. I wrote an article in HBR earlier this year called The Great Rethink. I said, it's not the resignation, it's the great rethink. Uh, You know, we all confronted death and, you know, and uh, and mortality and illness and uh, a lot of things. And it forced a lot of us to think about our lives in a different way. So, why is purpose an unlock? So, let me try to explain the answer to that what does purpose do for us individually and organizationally? So first of all, let's think about it at the individual level. What is purpose? Purpose has been debated for thousands of years, ancient Greeks to ancient Indians to ancient Chinese. It's been like the the perennial permanent question, right? Purpose unlocks human potential in several ways. When we understand our purpose, the first thing purpose does is it gives us clarity of direction. Directional It gives us an orienting framework, a set of principles that we want to think about. So it gives us an orienting. It's like a North Star, whatever you want to call it, a corridor in which you want to operate. So it's really a directional tool, but it's also a motivational tool. When I'm living in alignment with my purpose, I show up differently. And if I use a word, I show up inspired. When I'm living in alignment with my purpose, I show up inspired. Now, let's take this from an individual level to the organizational level. If my organization also has a purpose that is somehow resonant with my personal purpose, magic happens then. I interviewed um, uh, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll. And Pete's take was like, I'm a coach. My job is to unlock human potential. I got to wear in the middle of, you know, a sports season right now. What is the coach's job? The coach's job is to unlock the team and individual potential. Getting everybody to perform at levels that they didn't think they could perform at. That's what a great coach does. Now, the question is, how do you do that? What do you tap into? The first thing is you tap into individual ambition. If you do this, you're going to go down in the history books. You're going to be famous. You're going to be rich. You're going to have all these good things coming your way. And, you know, so get out there and perform. Then you take it to the level of the collective. You create that kind of collective sensibility that we are one team. And turns out people are willing to do more for a collective they identify with than even for themselves.
0: That's interesting, Rancho. in the the sense of when we think about a high-performing team at the pinnacle, we're supporting each other on their journey and their learning and their growth. Michael, an extreme
1: example of that is, in the Marine Corps, people will will die for their team because the shame of letting their team down is greater than the shame or fear of dying. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, I mean, think about (laughs) what does Ted Lasso do? He's getting people to buy into the team. Now, so that takes performance to the next level. There's a third level. If you buy into an ideal, I'm doing this for an ideal. You look at Ukraine right now, you know, you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for your teammates. You're doing it for an ideal. And so how do you take it to the highest level where I'm truly inspired in what I'm doing?
0: Do you love the example you gave of the coin-operated monkey? It's not just about turning up to work, feeding the kids it might be for for some but for for many it's 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 more than that it's more than the career now or after the three things that you've just described organizations
1: have for the longest time been defined as a nexus of contracts that's what economists when they do their reductionist thinking about what is an organization they call it a nexus of contracts which in some level may be true everyone is in a contract but what a what a arid view of organized people are not just coin operated monkeys that i'm just here you put a coin in me and i'll dance for you you put two coins and i'll dance some more we have greater aspirations and what ends up happening is we create a self-fulfilling prophecy and then we create terms like work-life balance just think about what a horrible phrase work-life balance i mean what about work leisure balance work family balance work life means i'm not living at work i'm dead i'm like what i live i'm only waking up from my inert state uh, after 5 p.m and on the weekends and i'm a zombie the rest of the time i mean what a horrible way to frame
0: work when we look at the book and, and it explains what is deep purpose you've interviewed so many fascinating people, gone to so many different different businesses, places like Microsoft, Nike, Pepsi, Lego, and even EY, of course, uh, that led them to developing a deep purpose culture. What is it then specifically that they've perfected in their culture? And what would you also say about the classic traps that they've avoided when trying to introduce cultural change? So let me clarify
1: one thing that I think is a great question, Michael, is that... Culture and purpose operate in parallel. Some even think of purpose as one dimension of a culture. But I think culture is a set of rules, informal rules by which we operate in a company. It's what people like to say, how you choose to behave when no one is watching, right? So culture is a set of rules. Purpose is the why that emanates into a set of principles about how you want to operate. So yes, they intersect and overlap. And the companies I looked at had kind of a culture work going on and a purpose work going on, right? So Microsoft, you mentioned, was one. They had a culture project of being growth mindset and collaboration as the, kind of their cultural principles. But they had a purpose project going on saying, we want to be an organization that empowers others to achieve more. And so I got to connect the two together somehow, but they are distinct. Now, to the question about what are the pitfalls people run into, the first one is people confuse purpose as a purpose statement oh, it's a mission statement. And you're like, really? You may have a statement that is the result of like months and months of debate and discussion, but it's the underlying thought. So when you read companies' mission statements, they read really generic. It's, are they putting their purpose to work? And that's why the book is called Deep Purpose because a lot of companies just have a purpose statement. Oh, yeah, we're done. Check the box, hire a PI firm and they'll come up with some nice words for us and put it out there. It's what you do with that. Is it really a collective shared sentiment of intention that informs your strategy, informs your hiring, informs even your cultural sensibility, informs your thinking about your responsibilities? How might you wanna think about yourself? You know, self-identity even. And and how do you think of your place in the world in the short and long-term? That's purpose. So I think that's one thing confusion is purpose is a purpose statement. Mm -hmm. The next one is, you know, purpose in small companies sometimes gets personified in the founder. And when the founder leaves, suddenly there's a big vacuum and everything kind of falls apart. The culture falls apart and purpose falls. And look at Howard Schultz, poor guy, has come out of retirement three times. And every time he comes back, he says, the company has lost its soul. So you see the language also speaking in very soulful terms. About the organization. So there's something going on that I think we need to understand that and purpose is never done. So, these companies I have in my book, if I were to tell you all of them are deep purpose, no, they are all on a deep purpose journey at different speeds and at different paces. The last one I want to say is people think of purpose as win win. Purpose means do good and do well at the same time, simultaneously, all the time. Really? Or they have books out, they saying a world, uh, a world without trade-offs. And you're like, come on, I think that's completely bogus. You know, Business and life is all about trade-offs. We all have to balance different competing interests. The idea is having a purpose gives you a framework to think about those trade-offs and do it in an intentional and thoughtful way.
0: There's a great statistic in the book you shared that 93% of financial investors believe purpose is critical to long-term strategic success. However, with many organizations facing kind of colossal financial pressures right now, what are the the difficult decisions some business leaders had to face as they try to maintain that deep purpose? They try to maintain that direction that that north star as you've described it so look i
1: i I use an example in the book about a company a small company called gotham green gotham green is an agrotech company that does urban farming on urban rooftops so they've found there are unused spaces and they can uh, in a temperature controlled environment they can do hydroponic farming and 90 plus percent of the water is recycled and they can grow things that are very you know easily spoilable And so you don't have shipping costs and less spoilage. And so they do herbs and they do lettuce and salads and stuff like that. And and they have a great business. And you don't have, you know, your water footprint, your environment footprint, your transportation footprint. Everything is limited. And spoilage is lower. And it's a viable, successful business. Now, one of the big things they had to ask was packaging. Because most of these salads and all are packaged in pet plastic. And they said, we're doing everything right. And now we're going to put it in a plastic box. I mean, <laughs> what is this? So they first talked to the retailers about having no packaging, just fresh. And they turned out that customers don't want to buy it loose, right? Then they said, let's try some sustainable, uh, recyclable packaging. But none of them keeps these things fresh long enough. You know, you need shelf life. That was part of the value proposition and the economic proposition. After a whole song and dance, they finally came to realize that nothing works as well as plastic. So they had to settle for plastic packaging, but they have their eyes on every new technology that is coming out there on packaging. But they settled for plastic. Now, you might say, oh, hypocrites, you know, losers, there's that. No, they, it's like they're being thoughtful in making that trade off. And they agonized over that trade. And they try to talk, think through it with their purpose in mind. So how do we think about trade-offs and choices that can be financially costly and other, you know, you mentioned financial firms and why do they care about purpose? I I was first puzzled when I saw BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, and even Temasek and other entities talking about purpose. And I've come to realize that, you know, asset management and money management are in the risk business. Right? They have to, when they invest in a company, they take risk on behalf of their clients. And you're trying to quantify and manage that risk. And the problem is that one of the things you were trying to manage is not your, your investors are not all short-term quarterly investors. Bulk of them are passive index investors for the long term who seem to have no voice in the process. So, how do you encourage your company leadership to think long term while delivering in the short term as well? And purpose is a wonderful proxy to develop that message. And so when I ask you what purpose, I'm forcing you to tell me what is your long-term vision for your business? So purpose became a way, but it's not excusing you from short-term either. Some companies said, oh, we're a purpose company, so we don't deliver in the short term. We don't deliver at all. We are so socially oriented. Purpose became a proxy for social. Purpose involves long-term thinking with short-term deliverables
0: along the way towards those long-term goals. One of the inspiring leaders that you brought in was Indra Nooyi uh, from, from Pepsi, who had to make some big decisions uh, about, about society. Their, their investors turned around and, and said, actually, you know, we're, we're in the sugar business, actually. We're in the sweet, sweet drinks. It's not about society and, and, and long-term. And she had some huge decisions. That was a tough one for
1: me because i wasn't sure for the longest time whether i wanted to think about them as a purpose company because you know they're in the sugar and snack business you know you're selling potato chips and cola come on right but it was interesting i wanted to document the idea that even if you're in a legacy business that may not be the most like oil and gas you know because there are companies that are trying to move in a positive direction you can't just say too bad you're done you're evil you know right now among the companies who have the largest number of patents in alternative energy are the oil and gas companies. BP being one of them, Shell being another one of them, and so are several others. So, you know, they're moving and you've got to kind of, we, in finance, they call it transitional financing. Also, they're helping them transition out of their legacy businesses. So to me, what I wanted to showcase and applaud over here was the effort to say we're going to reduce the salt content we're going to reduce the portion size. We're going to put warnings. We want to be a responsible. And we're going to add oatmeal and healthier products. So there was movement.
0: We're talking about a long-term transition here, aren't we? When we're talking about cultural change, there are deeply ingrained individual habits to nudge, shift, particularly those that might be 100% purely orientated towards profit margin. We know we need to get the balance right, but what can business leaders that are listening to us right now do to nudge and shift those behaviors effectively? One of the the gentlemen I interviewed said to me, writing a purpose statement
1: is easy. What comes next is much harder. It's like getting it real. So let me take it down to the granular level. There's research by a colleague of mine that has shown that there's an exponential decay in purpose understanding as you go down the hierarchy of an organization. Senior leadership might buy in, they'll bring the Kool-Aid, they'll go on an offsite to a beautiful location and hold hands and sing songs and say, we love each other and we love our purpose together. How, as you go down the hierarchy, how do you make purpose personal? In my journey, actually, Michael, after I wrote the book, I interviewed 10 CEOs from around the world. Not in the book, not featured in the book. And one of them is Alan Job, CEO of Unilever, Another one is uh, Roz Brewer, CEO of uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Another one is Sim Shabalala, CEO of the largest bank in Africa, Standard Bank. And each of them highlights this as one of the key challenges that, you know, how do you inspire the people who are further down your organization? And it's really interesting what you discover. Each of them has a different way of doing it, I think. There are some common themes. I'll give you one or two. Some companies, some, not a lot. Some of them will say, you can't get an employee to buy into some company purpose until they think about their own life purpose. So we're going to hire coaches and exercises and online tools to do a life purpose activation exercise. And at first I was a little surprised. I'm like, this is a bit intrusive. It's none of your business. And by the way, I don't know my life purpose. So why should they? And, but I was like, okay. And they said, but you don't understand, Ranjay, people are more receptive to a company purpose when they know their own purpose. And so unhelping helping people awaken their own purpose. It's really, the, all of us know, have implicitly may know our purpose. How do you awaken that purpose or activate that purpose? And only then can you connect them to the work company purpose. Others talked about running a campaign, like storytelling. So, you know, they'll have storytelling campaigns. People tell, individuals tell you a personal story about how you have found your part of your life purpose, which is related to work, through your work. So share inspiring stories. The old NASA janitor who said, Mr. President, I'm here to put a man on the moon. So how do we tell personal inspiring stories? So some say it's storytelling and amplification through storytelling. Mm -hmm. Others talk about KPIs. You know, that was what I learned at EY. You know, we are an accountant. We like to measure things. So we're going to measure it. Now we can't measure purpose. We can't measure how how purposeful are we. So we can measure correlates of purpose. We can say, you know, our purpose translates into four dimensions of value: client value, right? Employee value, right? Societal value, and financial value. So we're going to measure for those four things. And every partner is going to get compensated around those four dimensions of value. So I found it interesting, some relying on metrics, some relying on storytelling, some relying on making it personal, some relying on their culture, some relying on really restructuring the entire organization.
0: It's interesting that you've got the balance of Hearts and minds in the examples that you've described, you know, balanced scorecard card going right from top, top to bottom, but also a good story travels fast as well, of course. You know, a purpose
1: orientation is something that is so fundamental to an organization. It's not some kind of change management project. It's even bigger than a culture change. It's really getting people to buy into an ideal saying, you know, let me tell you why we exist as an entity. It's going right to, you might even call it the foundational formative DNA of the company. I mean, I looked at Lego, for instance, and Lego was almost bankrupt when Jörn Vignotstrup took it over. And what did he do? He went back to the founding. Like, what did the founder mean when he said intelligent play? What did he mean by that? You know, and how do we modernize it to bring it into the future? Because not, this is not just a past-looking exercise. You're not just playing nostalgia it's connecting that past into the future and, and bringing those two together and saying, okay, now what does that mean for us in terms of our strategy, in terms of our culture, in terms of our organization, in terms of who we hire and how we promote, our budget, what businesses do we want to get out of? We don't want to be in theme parks. We don't want to be in movies. So it became kind of a filtering system to create. Now, how do you do that? And it doesn't, it happened overnight, and
0: it never ends. You've encouraged us, like the Sankova bird, uh, to look back to move forward. You've got to tell us about this Sankova bird and where you got the inspiration from. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful
1: uh, Ghanaian folktale about uh, the Sankova bird. It's a mythological bird that looks backward while flying forward. And, and it made me realize that as companies, because I looked at Lego and a few others that really explored their past, that really went back into their past to understand their future. And, and it was an exercise. And I just finished an article in the Harvard Business Review about this very topic, about the Sankofa bird story, that how do you engage in nostalgia but not get bogged down in the past and also look forward? How do you connect the two to each other and modernize your kind of history. And I, and I found it interesting because a lot of us, some of us either do the following. We ignore our history, we avoid it. It's the past. You don't want to get bogged down in the past. We are forward looking, future dynamic, you know. I don't want to get bogged. Others go completely into the past and they get bogged down in nostalgia. Oh, we're a hundred year old, we're a 200 year old. we we'll look at how we've done it always. So my idea was how do these organizations find a way to really relate to their past in a way that is empowering to not get bogged down in it, but be empowering into the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of examples of the book where they have looked back at their history to, to move forward. Can you give us an example of one that's perhaps looked back and thought, yeah, you know what, we're going to take this with us, but we're going to leave that behind to support this transition in this new, new direction? Another one was Microsoft,
1: which caused it Look at Satya Nadella's book where he summarizes the transformation of Microsoft. It's called Hit Refresh, the quest to rediscover Microsoft's soul and imagine a better future for everyone. Well, Microsoft was still caught up in the old kind of a PC on every desktop everywhere. It was really kind of resident software licensing agreements. And they, even though they knew the cloud was here, they you know, and it was, so they had not connected to the cloud. That was one, right? The other one was they were very focused on you know, desktop devices and not mobile devices. So how do we do a mobile and cloud first way of thinking about ourselves? We, because the original was a PC on every desktop every time, right, all the time. So you became this kind of div, PC, a you know, laptop slash tablet on your desk versus a mobile phone. And not being able to connect it into the cloud, you know, software should be a service on the cloud. So if you have, you know, Office 365 today, it's working off the cloud. And so that was really important to kind of acknowledge that we are are a a productivity set of tools, but we need to break away from how we thought about it. it. And it starts with this purpose around, you want to empower others to achieve more. How are we going to help others achieve more? And so I think this willing to take on the past, embrace it, be inspired by it, but then modernize it to the future, most institutions that survive are able to evolve themselves with the times, right? And I think that is a very important kind of, you look at institutions that outlive, you know, one individual are the ones that are able to evolve over time. So, and I can give you other examples also where, you know, at Bueller, one of the company I looked at, they had their anniversary, I think it was 100 year, 150 years, some momentous anniversary. And they were gonna do a trip down memory lane. And they were gonna showcase all the things they had accomplished over the many decades they've been in business. And the, the, the last family CEO who was from the family owner, he was, after that, they had brought professional CEO, the next was a professional CEO the first professional CEO in the history of the company. And the family member CEO said, listen, I don't want to do a trip down memory lane. I want, fine, you can talk about memory lane, but then I want us to talk about what the future. So in this display and celebration you're doing, I don't want us to be like just this kind of backward looking. I want a forward looking exercise. And as you think forward, he said, because Buna is in the food processing business. They make equipment that processes food. He said, Ask yourself as you're looking into the future, what are we doing to leave a planet for the next generation? Food is the number two contributor to greenhouse gas emissions after oil and gas. And almost half of all food produced is wasted, never consumed. That alone can fix all our problems. So what are we doing about it? So
0: think about the future, not only in terms of the survival of our business, but also the survival of the planet. Uh, did you give an example from Johnson & Johnson of a stress test to see you know, what, what do we want to hold on to? Where, where are we moving forward to? And, and it, it was put out to the, to the organization, right? Yeah. So the Johnson & Johnson
1: had a purpose, kind of a statement for the, from the beginning by General Johnson called the Credo. It's engraved on a piece of concrete outside their corporate headquarters. But periodically they have done a credo challenge. They've had moments when they lost their purpose also. The purpose drift happened to them. Now, periodically, they do what is called a credo challenge saying, listen, let's just modify what we have. And they have modified it. So ask, allowing us, and we should do that ourselves, right? I mean, I'll just be for myself here, Michael, is that I, my purpose today as an individual is not my purpose from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The only regret I have is I wish I was more intentional about my purpose 20 years ago. It was kind of there, but it was kind of buried somewhere in my recesses of my brain. I never kind of thought about it. I have become much more deliberate about my purpose now than I was 20 years ago. But it's changed. Our circumstances change. Our own thinking changes. The world around us changes. And we need to evolve with those changing contextual
0: circumstances. How did you get there then, Ranjit? What does the individual do?
1: I have to tell you, I, have to, I really have to thank my students, first of all, you know, who have helped me in this journey. For 10 years, I taught in our advanced management program, which is our senior leader program in the school. And the average age is 54 years old. And maybe everyone's going through a midlife crisis or not. I don't know. But a lot of pushback in saying, what is my... And I hired coaches for each of them. And I said, listen, I want you to really reflect on being more purposeful about your lives. And then one of them asked me, like, what about you? And I'm like, ooh, I'm being a hypocrite here. you know I'm asking others to think about their life purpose. What about me? And so it forced me to contemplate. Now, I think you know it's never too late um, and it's never too early um, to think about our purpose. and in these interviews I've done now, these ten interviews with CEOs from around the world, it is so inspiring to hear how like, it's no surprise these people have ended up as CEOs. You hear their life journey, you hear how when you have clarity about purpose, and when you think about individual purpose, here's the definition that I like. It's a William Damon definition from a Stanford psychologist. He says, Purpose is at once meaningful to the self and consequential to the world beyond the self. Most of us, not all of us, most of us want to do something bigger than ourselves. It could be impact. This is not saving the planet only. It could be impact on our customers, changing a market, changing the way people think, transforming something bigger than myself. And purpose, when you think about it, is a way to understand what is meaningful to me. First and foremost, self is important and consequential to the world beyond the self. And connecting those two in a way I think is magic happens.
0: We mentioned the the, the classic story of the caretaker at NASA, which I've told and shared many times in in workshops and delegates. A reminder for for those listening is the caretaker at NASA who's asked, what do you do around here? She answers, I put men on the moon. Uh, It's a lovely story. How do leaders, employees prevent themselves from becoming detached from, from that original
1: purpose. First of all, you want to work in an organization where you really deeply resonate with what the organization does. You know, So ask yourself, like, are you connected? Do you feel, and I would the word I use, would you feel inspired by what your organization does? The other word I like to use is proud. Do you feel proud of the organization that you work? Right? Now, you're hoping the organization and leadership creates a context to remind us that look, what we do matters, what we do matters. At GE Aviation, they had a campaign for the long time called We Bring People Home Safely. Because more than half of all aircraft flying in the world at any moment in time are flying with a GE engine. And so it was a way to remind people that what you do, you may not realize it, but the work you're doing, making a little widget for a million plus part, a piece of equipment, actually does bring people home safely. What you're doing does matter. So I think that's, that's important, right? People want to feel that they're doing, make, doing something meaningful to themselves and consequential to the world beyond the same. I think a lot of us numb ourselves about work. We numb ourselves into believing that I live my life outside of work. Work-life balance. but. I think all of us should expect more out of our jobs. We should all expect more out of, we should be living at work, not in some you know, limbo state or zombie state at work. And I think that's the way, I think we should all expect more in our lives, purposeful living, and in our jobs. And when those two connect, it's remarkable. And I've seen sports coaches talk about this as I've seen business leaders talk about it, I've seen amazing individuals talk about it. What allows individuals to do extraordinary? What what allowed Nelson Mandela or others, Mahatma Gandhi, all the, how Martin Luther King, what allowed them to be extraordinary individuals? They all had found a purpose for themselves that was involved, what is meaningful to the self, but also something bigger than themselves.
0: Ranjay, I love the sense that, you know, over the years we, we've learned, as, perhaps as practitioners, to encourage employees to say no, to to disagree, to ask for help. What you're saying is know your right to a purpose. Be more and challenge for more. Uh, thank you so much for all your thoughts, Ranjay. That is at, sadly the, at the end of the podcast. We do have copies of the book Deep Purpose to to give away. Uh, what do they have to do, Ranjay? Well, I think uh, you have to simply like one of the podcast posts,
1: and then you have to, in the comments, write out what is your light bulb moment in the podcast. And I hope there's at least one for some of you. And so if you just share, what is that light bulb thing that maybe raised your thinking in some way? I hope my five years of research led to one light bulb moment. So, and if you can share that with others, uh, you become eligible
0: to hopefully get a copy of the book that you will read. Ranjay, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we did the book justice in the time that we had together. There's so much more of the crucial blueprint to explore in the book. Uh, please also check out ranjaygalati.com to find out more about deep purpose culture and stay tuned for our next exciting interview on EY's Think People podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.